welcome to Scaling the Bat Cave, a Digging for Kryptonite special. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss the Batman Long Halloween Saga is first-time guest and my dear friend, Dr. Bill Mayo. Hey, Anthony. Thanks for having me on this uh, podcast. You have been a frequent guest on my other show, My Comic Shop History. So for anyone who's familiar with that show, they already know you. Uh, But for anyone who hasn't heard your appearances on that show, uh, you and I met through our local comic shop, Alternate Realities. We both worked there largely at different times, though, with some overlap. And of course, that experience meant a lot to, to both of us. And again, we've we've podcasted a good bit, I would say, over this past year in particular. And on my comic shop history, I dedicated the the entire 2021 to what I dubbed the longer Halloween. So basically, I took this idea from Batman, the long Halloween, which we're going to discuss. And uh, each month on the My Comic Shop History podcast, I celebrated a different holiday with a member of the Alternate Realities gang. And by the time we got to the end of it, it just seemed fitting to actually have a conversation about the Batman story over here. And I thank you for coming over and joining me for this. Oh, for sure. Um, I had a fun time with the longer, long R Halloween, and now hopefully we'll have a good time today discussing the long Halloween. Yeah, I mean, this is this is a big episode for this podcast. It's a couple of firsts. It's your first appearance on it. That's That makes it special enough in and of itself. But on top of that, this is the first time in just over a year of the life of this podcast where we have widened our focus to talk about a character other than Superman. And about time. Uh, hey, listen, and I'm still wearing my Daily Planet shirt. This is oh, will always remain a Superman podcast. And, and, you know, Superman is always the first love and the, and the primary focus of this podcast. But, you know, I do have a passion for other characters as well, especially within the DC universe. And I just got to the point where I said, well... We're still going to keep doing the Superman talk as planned, so we're not, we're not, there's no less Superman talk, but I thought it would be interesting to take the approach that I've been using with Superman that I, I think people have been enjoying and apply it to other characters, and Batman was the, the natural first choice for this because, I mean, I think it's fair to say, I mean, he's my second favorite character in comics, so this is, again, sort of a pilot for similar special episodes that will will be coming in the uh, in the years ahead. And again, it felt especially fitting. You know, we're recording this on Halloween weekend. It'll come out a couple weeks after. Um, but yeah. I thought that the timing of this was was very fitting. Well, absolutely perfect. Every one of the stories that we're going to discuss, it seems to start on Halloween Eve, which is great. And so it makes sense that we're recording on October thirtieth. It's great, actually. It's perfect. So I said, you know, it's the long Halloween saga. So specifically, what we'll be talking about are Batman the Long Halloween, the 13-issue miniseries. And again, all of these stories by Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale, a team who has collaborated on on a number of projects. You're holding up your your long Halloween trade there. So we're talking Batman the Long Halloween, as well as the 13-issue sequel, Dark Victory, the six-issue spinoff, Catwoman, One in Rome, the just-released, the just-released in October 2021, uh, Batman The Long Halloween special. And you read more of this than I did, although I've read it in the past, but the uh, the Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween specials that they did years before Long Halloween. Mm-hmm. And I think, even though this is not Long Halloween saga uh, proper, but I think you and I both reread Batman Year One in advance of this, too. I read a little bit of it, okay. uh, especially the stuff that's pertinent to 
uh, stuff that we see in uh, when in Rome, which is great. Nice, nice. Yeah, I should have read the whole thing though. No, it's it's quite all right. Uh, I, I it's <laughs> we were talking about this off mic, but I left my homework for this episode until literally the last possible time. <laughs> And so basically I spent this, we're recording this at, at 8.30 at night, uh, my time, and literally the past 12 hours I've been reading through everything. It's literally insane. I love it. But here's the thing. Would I recommend that necessarily? No, it's better to do what you did. I mean, you, you read it a couple of times. You took notes. You did it in advance. You did it the right way. But, and this is what I was saying to you off mic, I can't tell you, I can't even remember the last time that I took an entire day and just read comics. It just doesn't happen anymore. It's just there's too much going on. Yeah. But my wife took our son to her mom's in, in New Jersey and I had the place to myself. And I, I mean, I just spent the day reading comics and I miss them very much, but it was a fun day. I mean, when, when's the last yeah. time you've done something like that? I, I mean, I can remember those days from working at Alternate Realities where it's like, you know, you sit there and read comic books the whole next day. Uh, it's been years, Anthony, that, uh, it's the, you know the only times I can think of it when is when like I got like a big trade paperback or a big like uh, absolute or something and I just want to sit down and read it, uh, but that's few and far between and it's and it's pr- pretty rare nowadays that I can dedicate so much time. But uh, I, I, absolutely, that's how I think most of us consumed comic books. You know, working at the comic shop, it was like a, it was a marathon all day sometimes. Yeah, no, for sure. So it was it was fun to kind of tap into that type of experience again yeah. after so long. And I saw the photo that you posted on Facebook earlier today, and it, it looked like you took a copious amount of notes. Is that fair to say? <laughs> well, maybe too many. I don't think they're going to help me today, but I have my notes from our readings. And if I was this productive with my actual job, I'd probably be like Nobel Prize chemist. I don't know. But for Batman, <laughs> pull out all the stops. That's amazing. I have no notes. So I think we balance each other out very nicely. And I'm going to be deferring to you a lot here as far as uh, like I said, I don't know if they'll help. (laughs) I'm sure they will. So, you know, before we fully dive into the long Halloween specifically, when I started podcasting about Superman, you know, the, the, the first episode was all about mine and my guests are Superman fan origins, like how we got into the Mm -hmm. character and everything. And so I thought for the first time that we talk about Batman, it would be cool to kind of get into that. So I I wanted to ask you, what is your Batman fan origin? And what, if any role, did the Long Halloween stuff play in it before now? Oh my gosh, what a great question. And uh, I wish I prepared for this. Uh, The first time I ever saw a Batman comic book was at my, uh, my uncle's house. He had just gotten like a collection of comic books uh, from work. And I remember there being a Batman in it and it was like a purple cover. Batman's on the floor, like cowering. And there's like a skeleton that's like glow in the dark on the cover. I'd have to look that up to see what issue it was. But I remember like at the time I was a young kid at the time, like pouring over that comic book and I never seen the character before, you know, uh, I guess Batman in the media was always like a TV show that was in reruns and everybody's cognizant. I think of Batman growing up, but that was my first, like, comic book Batman experience. And I think I probably didn't re-engage the character until many years later. And I remember specifically that the next Batman comic or the first Batman comic I bought was the, uh, the one with Bane breaking him over the knee. Um, I wasn't a huge Batman fan. I was a big Spider-Man fan, a lot of Marvel stuff, but I think everybody at the time when that book, that nightfall saga was coming out, were making such a big deal about that. 
Uh, and then I picked up a lot of the books that ensued after that, like the Asriel storyline and who picked up after Batman had his back broken. Uh, and from there, I think it was kind of a rabbit hole finding old Batman stories um, and whatnot. I can't remember the first time I picked up Long Halloween, but it would have come out when I was in high school or just starting high school. And it probably wasn't until many years later that I found this book. And it wasn't through the issues. It was always through a trade. Um, so this is a, a, you know, a time where uh, I wasn't like, you know, excited every week getting the, the new one off the shelves. Um, I think it was the mid nineties that this came out. Yeah. So they did their Loeb and Sale did three Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween specials in the early to mid 90s, I think 93 to 95 or something like that. And then Long Halloween was 96 to 97. Uh, mm. Dark Victory was 99, 2000. And then Catwoman went in Rome was a little bit after that. And then again, we had a very long break before this, uh, the, the Long Halloween special that just came out. They have said in an interview that they have ideas for more specials and more stories within this long Halloween time period. So I don't know, I guess based on the response to this, and I don't really have a sense yet of how it's necessarily been received or how it's sold, but uh, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll have more. Maybe you and I will be doing a, a follow-up episode at some point. Yeah, that sounds good. So what's your Batman uh, origin here? So I was born in 87. So I, as a kid, I, I do have memories of watching the Keaton movies and, and the two that followed, but they didn't yeah. make as big of an impression on me as I know they did for a lot of other fans. That experience for me came with the Nolan movies and when I was in high school mm -hmm. and college. Those were the movies that like really, really, I think, cemented the, the Batman fandom. But I grew up watching, again, those, those 90s movies and, of course, Batman the Animated Series. And I did read JLA in the 90s, you know, and Batman, of course, was a, was a prominent member uh, of that team. So I certainly was aware of Batman and was a fan of Batman generally. But the tipping point and what actually made me a regular reader of, of the Batman comics was No Man's Land, the uh -huh. year-long 1999 storyline where Gotham is rocked by an earthquake and the government declares it a no man's land and separates yeah. it from the country. That And it was funny because I didn't get into that until the end. I remember because it lasted a whole year across four Batman titles. And I just remember being at the comic shop and just seeing those covers. And they all had that unifying trade dress with the yeah. banner on, yeah. the, on the side. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I just remember seeing it. I remember reading articles in Wizard. And it was just like for that whole year, it, they just kind of wore me down. Because eventually I was like, all right, like <laughs> let me see what this is about. And I ended up tracking down the entire year's worth of No Man's Land in back issues. It wasn't Yeah, that not hard, an easy thing back. Well, not back then it wasn't so easy. I don't know. I was thankfully I was able to do it across our our uh, Westchester comic book shops that are all gone now, but at the time <laughs> that was where I got everything. And uh, so that made me a, that made me a regular fan and, and reader, but Long Halloween entered the picture for me very shortly thereafter. And the thing that I most remember about Long Halloween, and I think this is something that will speak to you and to anyone listening to this, because it doesn't matter if we're talking comics, music, movies, when you discover a body of work and there's all this material for you to experience for the first time, it's, it's just, it's magical. And, you know, the thing yeah. that I kind of equate it to is I remember in, in high school and college having Netflix back when it was discs in the mail. And I remember just going on these kicks where I would rent all of the, the Scorsese movies and the Quentin Tarantino movies and the Kevin Smith movies. And it was just I immersed myself in uh -huh. in in the works of, of, of each filmmaker. And it was 
I mean, it was transformative. And so it was a kind of a similar thing where, again, No Man's Land was 99 into 2000. And so Long Halloween had only been out a few years and the trade was out. And I remember I got it at the comic shop. It was one of those things where it was like, okay, now I'm a Batman reader. What's out there? And, you know, that was one of the things. And it was a great, it was definitely a great story to read early on as a Bat fan. And it's definitely a story that I would recommend you know, to, to anyone who's getting into comics or getting into Batman. I think it, I think it works. And I think a lot of Loeb stuff serves that function as well, but I think it works well for, for a new reader in particular. Well, it's, it's certainly an impactful story. And I think there's a difference between, you know, comics in general as like a disposable form of entertainment and those that are like some kind of lasting form of literature or art. You know, I really feel like the Loeb and sell stuff, you know, not only the Batman stuff, but in general, you know, kind of fits into that category where almost anybody can pick it up and appreciate it uh, and even fall in love with the characters and the story and the nuances of these, uh, you know, these people uh, more so than just picking up some random comic book and kind of getting lost in, in the lore. They're kind of self-contained uh, and you don't necessarily need to know everything. And they kind of, you know, do a good job at telling the origins again here and there where it's appropriate. And I think that's important. And yes. certainly I've always recommended these books to people uh, to pick up. Definitely Long Halloween. Less so Dark Victory, but Long Halloween was always like, if you like Batman, read this one. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the thing, you know, going back to the comic shop side of this. I mean, you and I have that experience of, you know, being behind yeah. the counter and someone coming up and, you know, it's like that mythical first customer or or, or a new Batman yeah. reader. They do exist, you know, and you would get, you would get yeah. those questions. And yeah, Long Halloween in particular, I agree, less so Dark Victory. I mean, especially since it was a sequel. It's like you would want to definitely start them off with, uh, with Long Halloween, you know, I'm going to assume that people listening or watching have read these stories or at a minimum don't care about spoilers as we will be spoiling them. Um, we are not going to touch on the animated movies now, but you and I w- are going to have um, a Patreon bonus episode out on the Long Halloween animated adaptations. And actually, as you are listening to or watching this episode, the Patreon bonus episode on the animated movies will be out. So you can go check that out after you're done with this. Uh, but we will be talking about the comic book stories and there will be spoilers. Uh, you know, we won't do, you know, a, a hardcore plot summary because we'll be here a long time. But, you know, we'll definitely give context for, for what we're talking about. And, you know, for anyone who needs a quick refresher, you know, all of these stories are set early on in Batman's career. And, you know, the reason why Bill and I both read, you know, at least some of or reread at least some of uh, Batman Year One is that thematically and and narratively they really do they're very much a successor to batman year one in terms of the time period and the cast of characters and you know the more grounded look at gotham the long halloween saga obviously takes things to the next level right because now we're moving we're still dealing with the gangsters and the mob aspect but now we're also in this world of of the freaks as they're often referred to yeah the rogues gallery makes their appearance Exactly. And both Long Halloween and Dark Victory deal with uh, serial killer, serial killers who strike uh, on holidays. And in the Long Halloween, they are targeting members of the Falcone crime family. And in Dark Victory, they are targeting members of law enforcement. And of course, there's a lot more to unpack, but that's the that's the basic gist. So these are really noir mysteries. Oh, absolutely. It's like watching, you know, cops and robbers type movie, you know, definitely uh, the shades of like Goodfellas or, you know, uh, the Godfather. I mean, you see it uh, cinematically reading these books. I mean, they're not necessarily laid out 
as typical comic books would be. I mean, I really feel like reading these books is like watching a movie. Uh, and the story is so intricate and weaves through different time periods and uh, different aspects of, I mean, it, it takes place on so many different levels that it's very easy to you know get lost. And so, you know, they were definitely methodical and uh, they made decisions early on that impacted things, you know, years later in their storylines, you know? Um, so it was kind of like watching the Godfather. I mean, it really was like watching the Godfather and they had like planned two movies ahead of time at the very beginning. I thought that was really nice. And they, and again, they took beats, like you said, from year one. And really I love stories that take place. There's not many, these, these might be all of them that take place in that early time period of Batman's kind of crime fighting uh, mythology. I mean, it's, it's really interesting take on the character because almost everything that happens later is new. And so you could do a lot with that. Um, and, and they really mine it and they mine it well. Yes, I agree with all of that. So I have a, I have a few big picture questions for you that I, I really want to get your mm -hmm. thoughts on. Are you able to move your mic? That's not one of the big picture oh. questions, but are you able to move it a little, just a little closer? No, a little closer. Oh, sorry. It's okay. I'll all put right. it in my mouth. Perfect. So, <laughs> so a few big picture questions. I mean, I guess just overall, how did you find this, this reading experience? Just big picture. Oh, this was... I loved it. Uh, absolutely loved it. I, I started at the beginning. I decided when I reread it to start with the Haunted Night stuff. So I did the three prequels. I, I'll call them to Long Halloween. Uh, and then I jumped into the, the Long Halloween. And it, once I started rereading the Long Halloween, I you know was reminded of the first time I read it and really wondered why I haven't picked this book up in so long. Uh, more often than not, I don't have a lot of time nowadays to read comic books. So whenever I go to my shelf and I really want to engage a comic book, I'll look at like Dark Knight Returns or something like that. And, I, and that's what book that I go to again and again, or like Kingdom Come, books like that. Um, and reading this again, it was like, oh my goodness, I forgot, you know, just how like the scale of this book. It was just wonderful. Uh, and so I really love them. Uh, I know that some of the the, uh, the low sales stuff is like hit or miss. I think like Spider-Man Blue is, you know, wonderful book. I think the Hulk one, I remember reading it, it was like, eh. Uh, so some of their stuff is, you know, you never know, but I feel like this one is a home run. And uh, I don't know necessarily how familiar uh, Loeb was when he started writing this uh, with the Batman character. Because I think this was early on in his comic book writing uh, career. Um, he, he, I think he came from film, is that right? He was like yeah. a film writer or TV show. He certainly proves that he is a master at writing Batman comics, even early on. I mean, he must have immersed himself read everything he could and really wove this story with bits and pieces pulled from all different stories. And I thought that was just a really beautiful thing to have done. Yeah. I mean, there's, you know, I have some issues with, uh -oh. with the stories <laughs> and uh, we'll, we'll get into that, but, and that's actually gonna be one of my next questions in, in a couple of minutes, but uh, there's a lot that really works well. And I, overall, yeah. I had a very good time today rereading re these stories, uh, honestly. And yeah. they, they read great together. And this was actually the first time I had ever read them back to back to back. Uh, so that was a yeah. new way to experience it. And I think definitely, you know, added to the enjoyment to see how, uh, you know, just to see how it all tied together. And, you know, going back to what you were saying before, it's like, yeah, it does, it does play like a movie. And, you know, I have to give them a lot of credit because, and this is not to knock 90s comics because there was a lot of good stuff in the 90s, as much as, you know, people might, might kind of knock that time period overall. There was good stuff. It's not like, 
you know, uh, th- th- there isn't anything else. But for the time, I mean, I do feel like it was ahead of its time. I mean, you, you know, you read it and yeah. there, there, there's like a timeless aspect to it. But just in terms of the sophistication of the storytelling, I, I think it didn't feel like your, your standard comic. And to get something like that in the 90s, I think it was pretty cool. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. It was, you know, it's like reading a Frank Miller story, right? I mean, it seems like it's ahead of its time. And like you said, timeless. You could pick up these stories anytime. Uh, and I think it's because of that aspect of when it was taken place uh, versus, like you were saying, No Man's Land is a very specific time and place in Batman lore. And, you know, you have to be immersed in that like time period to understand what's going on. Whereas this is just like, if you understand Batman, you will understand and love this story. Because um, it's it's the heart of the character. It's It's fighting crime and fighting, you know, the mob. Yeah, hundred. That's the thing, you know. And I have a lot of love for No Man's Land, and I reread it just a few years ago, and for the most part, it held up well. But again, it's it's an event with multiple mm-hmm. titles and multiple creative teams, and you know, again, it was fun, and it it you know incorporated the whole Bat family of characters, uh, and so there's a lot of value to that. But yeah, I think something like this really does get to the heart of the character, you know, really in a in a more fundamental way, and. And even just the the world, you know, the world of Gotham and the villains and the uh-huh. GCPD. Oh, that was the other thing that I'm sure, you know, you noticed as you were rereading this stuff too. I was really struck by how much subsequent adaptations have taken from The Long Halloween. It, you know, especially in The Long Halloween itself, when you have this alliance, you know, among Batman, Gordon, and Harvey Dent. I mean, uh-huh. we see that play out exactly in, you know, in The Dark Knight. Uh, I don't know. Did you ever watch the Gotham TV series? No, I haven't. I haven't. It's people are kind of split on that. I liked it though. I watched it all the way through. Uh, big Ben McKenzie fan from OC, so I think that was really what uh, what, what put the show that over the, to the, the top yeah. for me. But uh, but they they drew a lot. They drew on a lot from this too. I mean, they did they did a significant amount in the series with the Falcone family. Um, oh. You know, um, the the head of the family, but then also they brought in Sophia later on. Uh, a different take on the character, but still the same idea. So, yeah. you know, that was, and I know, I know we haven't seen much of the Batman yet, the upcoming Matt Reeves, Robert Pattinson movie, but you know, that is set during this early period as well. And I think in interviews, I think he might've even said that this was an inspiration as well. So, you know, that's something too, that really stood out was how much, um, you know, how much other, other versions of Batman have borrowed from this. You know, I can't imagine doing something in cinema and not engaging this, the long at least the long Halloween as some sort of an inspiration point. Um, I think it goes into I think all of his books really Lope's book really explore aspects of Batman the character that are important motivating factors for him. Uh, that without having a good knowledge or, or of that or at least a good version of his stories and his background, it's hard to then I think make a movie that's believable. Uh, I mean I think Tim Burton can make movies that are of, of the wild side of the Batman. Um, but if you really want to get like the Christopher Nolan type aspect, this dark brooding character, you know, these stories in particular are really great at really diving into his personal life and, and trying to understand his motivations, you know? Yes. All right, let's take a real quick commercial break and then we will continue our discussion of the long Halloween saga. Actually, scratch that because uh, there was an issue with the video file. So <laughs> uh, we'll we'll, uh, we'll circle back to that in a moment. In the meantime, oh man, it's it's quite all right. We'll get there. But 
what I wanted to ask was, this is going to be my next, uh, you know, big picture question because, you know, one of the other reasons I wanted to have you on this in particular was, uh, you know, I know what a huge art fan you are. And I mean, look, yeah. for, for any of us reading comics, it's a visual medium. So clearly the art is playing a role and we, we must all appreciate the art in some way. I don't know how you could be a comic book fan, but you're really an art yeah. fan and you, you collect original art. And, and I know it's something that you really, you put a lot of, of thought into and, and emphasis on. So I'm curious and again, I know this is another big picture question, but the, but the art of Tim Sale and the way that these two creators work together, um, I was just curious what your thoughts were. I'll tell you, early on, uh, I was not a fan of the art. Uh, Tim Sale art never really appealed to me so much. Um, I think it was the Joker uh, and those gigantic 18 feet long teeth that for whatever reason really turned me off uh, to Tim Sale as an artist. Over the years though, uh, and certainly given many years since I read it the first time, it's been 20 years, uh, you see these things in the art that are so beautiful. Uh, a lot of his use of shadows uh, works so well. And so, you know, looking at it purely as, you know, an artwork, a piece of art or a work of art, um, I think he gets a lot of things across with, a, you know, the way he draws the characters and motions. And, and like I said, especially shadowing. Uh, Batman is mostly, like you said, like a noir type thing. Uh, and I think he's an artist that is able to use the shadows really well. Um, I don't have any pieces of Tim Sale artwork in my collection, unfortunately. Uh, but, you know, look, you know, looking back, uh, I wish I had asked him for a commission back in the day. I'm sure he's very expensive now. Yeah, his, you know, it's just such a distinct, uh, evocative style, and it really sets mm -hmm. the atmosphere you know, so well. There's, and I'm jumping ahead, obviously, but you know, in Dark Victory, when... Uh, you know, Bruce goes to the circus and witnesses yeah. the, the murder of the Graysons. There's, I mean, one of the things that I thought was really, really great about that sequence in particular was that it was wordless. The only art told the story over those few pages. And I thought that was a great choice. And his art is strong enough that you can do that. And in yeah. particular, there was this double page spread where it was really just mostly shadows, but you really just see Bruce standing there watch, looking over uh, Dick yeah. with his with the, his his fallen parents and it was just it was so striking and uh, oh yeah you know and and again he has a very specific style and you know it's look it's always a matter of taste some people you know mm -hmm. may or may not respond to it but I, I also love when he really kind of like pulls back the camera and we get these like really wide shots and our characters might just be in like a little a little small piece yeah. of the panel or the page but it just gives you such a sense of the scene I really like that stuff yeah. a lot too yeah, again, I wonder how much of it is art direction by uh, Jeff Loeb uh, as he's writing these scenes and how much of it is the storytelling aspect of, of um, Tim Sale. I think they work really well together. So especially at this point, uh, I think they could probably, the, the, you know, their art style and the writing style meshes really well. I'd be very curious to read the scripts of, uh, of these guys. That's for sure. Um, but again, I think the art really works for this type of story. And I can't imagine uh, anybody else filling in uh, on art duties on something like this. I mean, he really, he, he hit a home run with the art. Uh, like, I, like I said, as a kid, I really didn't appreciate it. Uh, but I think when, you know, when you read, when I read these stories early on, I was a kid, you know, I was reading it in part for like, Hey, let's, let's just read Batman, you know? And as an adult, I'm seeing so many different things in this, this story that I didn't see as a kid and picking up things in the background um, is what's, what's, what I really think they do a good job at. Um, there's a lot of clues and hints and, and like I said, the shadowing is wonderful. I like early on in in, uh, 
in the long Halloween, you know, it's like only pages in and, you know, uh, I guess Bruce and Harvey have that kind of confrontation in the, in the parking lot outside the, uh, the wedding. And, you know, that shadow over Bruce's face, I mean, it's Batman. And, and then later on, uh, in Harvey Dent several times, you have like that shadow over one side of his face before he becomes Two-Face. I mean, that's really beautiful stuff. Uh, and then later on, I think it was in Dark Victory, when I guess Gordon finally gives up and gives in to the fact that, you know, Batman has to go and do what he has to do. I mean, I think for a long time, Gordon was trying to hold the line, like, don't break the, the rules kind of thing, just bend them a little bit. And I guess when he's had enough with Harvey, they think Harvey is the killer. And he's like, just do whatever you got to do. And that the shadow of Batman is cast over Gordon. And you ever see that? And then like it, Gordon's shadow becomes Batman's shadow. And I like things like that in the artwork. It's just like so well planned. Uh, and executed. I don't know if you noticed that as you read read through them today. No, like honestly, like that last bit in particular was not something that I was really dialed into. So that's again, that's why I wanted yeah, to have I, I wanted to have you here for this. I gotta I gotta find that. If, I don't even know if I could find it. But you know, as we discuss, maybe I'll find it. Yes. Well, actually, uh, I, so that's when it. I saw that. Yeah. No. Go ahead. No, I said when I saw that, it was just like you know, wow. Uh, it's just it's again, it's like you're watching a movie uh, and you're watching it frame by frame, very slowly. Yeah. Well, while you look for that, let's take another stab at a commercial break. So we will be right back. The Hive Comics and Games is an oasis of nerd fun and events in the heart of Odessa, Texas. Whether it's comic book superhero stories or role-playing in a dungeon, the Hive is where to be. Come tap your mana and face off against the top Magic the Gathering players in West Texas. Hive carries a majority of new comic titles each Wednesday, and has all of your favorite titles in their back issue section. Follow them on Facebook at The Hive Comics and on Instagram at The Hive Comic Shop. Film lovers and filmmakers should check out this family of film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On To Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In The Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals generally, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Also, be sure to listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts available via a shared universe network. All right, Dr. Bill, we're back. Okay, so here's the other like, global question. Hold yeah. Hold on. Yeah. Let's show you some of these shadow scenes because I pulled them up. All right, go for it. And so here's, here's one I absolutely love, right? So obviously, how do you not tell that Bruce Wayne is Batman? Look at that. I mean, all he has to do is wear a fedora and... You know, he's Batman. Here's the uh, that beautiful, um, oh man, I don't know how to do this. That's okay. Well, because you're cropped, there, so, but I think, and I can see, I can see what you're, what you're yeah. showing. Yeah, here's that beautiful Two-Face, uh, before he's Two-Face, you know, that shadow works so well uh, with Harvey Dent. And that one that I was talking about that you might have missed, it was actually in Long Halloween. And so when they think that it's Harvey Dent, who's actually um, Holiday, uh, and, and he says, do what needs to be done, uh, there it is. That's Look at that shadow. That's both Batman and uh, Gordon at that point. I mean, it's beautiful imagery right there. Yeah. You know, you can only pull that off in a comic book. I mean, that would be missed in a movie or something. But, I mean, how it's it's just so – it works for the scene too. That is a great point. I mean, you know, that's the thing. I think when you can do something in a comic that can only work in a comic, I think that's really yeah. special. And, uh, and, and, again, just shows what the medium can do. All right, so here's the the big question that I wanted to ask, and this kind of points, I guess, to some of the potential frustrations that I have with this story. Long Halloween and Dark Victory in particular, are they good mysteries? 
satisfying mysteries. And part two, if not, is that okay? Because that might not necessarily be fatal to one's enjoyment. So where do you land on that? Okay. I, I think there's some other kind of cerebral questions that we can ask. Uh, but certainly, is is Batman the world's greatest detective? No, not by these standards. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's funny because each issue is essentially like a month between e- each issue, more or less, right? And he's still trying to figure things out. And some of the like the clues are staring him in his face. Uh, Alfred at some points is like, hey, uh, by the way, did you think of this? You know, and so it's re- really interesting to see a mystery being solved, not by the world's greatest detective. Uh, so do I think they're great murder mysteries? Uh, not particularly, unfortunately. And and at the end, uh, Bruce really doesn't know who, uh, let's be honest, he doesn't really know who Holiday is at the end. He doesn't. Um, I think he thinks he knows, but I think everybody still is convinced that it's Alberto because he's cop to the crime. Um, and so in, in that regard, they're not. But I think they 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 work for on different levels that that doesn't make so much of a a thing. I think the story in general is just, you know, you know, like I said, it's so nuanced that that's just part of it. This whole, um, you know, who who is Holiday or later on who is the uh, what do they call him? The Hangman, hangman. guy. Yeah, Hangman. Yeah. Really bad name. So do you have the same problems there? Yeah. So uh, I mean, my my problem is less with. Batman not living up to his title of the world's greatest detective, but I agree with you that is problematic as well. But yeah, mine is more really with the with the the story and the series itself. So I re, you know, not too long ago, right? I did this run of uh, my comic shop book club episodes. You were on for one of them. We talked about uh, Darwin Cook's Parker series, and I also did another episode with our mutual friend Tom on the Batman Hush, also by Jeff Loeb. And, you know, what I said about Hush was that, you know, not not the greatest mystery, but it's a, an effective story because it introduces mm-hmm. you to the, the rogues gallery and the supporting cast. And I was a little bit, I guess, a little bit more forgiving of that story. Uh, but I guess I was expecting a little bit more uh, revisiting The Long Halloween. And essentially, this I had the same issue with The Long Halloween and Dark Victory as I did with Hush, which is, and, and I'll also say this too as another disclaimer, like I'm not... It's not like I'm a huge mystery guy and consumer to begin with, and I'm no expert, Mm -hmm. but I feel like at a fundamental level. (laughs) If you're going to go out and start, you know, this whole idea, this 13 issue saga, that's going to be the shrouded in mystery, make it, make it something. Here's the thing. I think when you get to the end of any mystery and you know, it's like I've, I've watched a lot of Sherlock, for example, but when you get to the end of a mystery, it should be it should be surprising you know it shouldn't be obvious but it should be something that you could have figured out it should oh, be yeah. it should be something that when you go back you see all of the pieces and it also should be the thing that you can go back and you'd be like oh it could only have been this yeah, yeah. in my mind you know people might feel differently about what they want out of a mystery but that's kind of like what i think really makes a strong detective story or mystery and i don't feel you have that here because i feel like in long halloween in particular you have issue after issue after issue of these uh organized crime members getting knocked off on a holiday and almost any character could be the culprit and there's an issue where batman and riddler are trying to figure it out i did like the structure of that where it was kind of that split 
perspective. That was and, the April Fool's Day uh, issue. Yeah, it was a good one. Yeah, that was cool, right? And they were they were each going through the the contenders, and they went through many of our main cast members, and it could have been any of them. And when you get to the story, I the end of the story, and I I, I don't say this to be flip, but it was just like. It was as if Loeb like just picked two and he could have picked yeah. any two and it, it, it could have been. And that's where I think my frustration comes in. Like, and now to your point, um, Alberto Falcone, who presume, you know, was, was seemingly killed or on, on new year's turns out to be alive. He confesses to the murders, but then in the final pages, again, spoiler alert for a 25 year old story, uh, Gilda Dent, wife of Harvey, the, you know, Batman doesn't know any of this. He doesn't figure any of this out, but the reader is shown, um, that Gilda uh, confesses, uh, you know, just to herself and to the memory of Harvey, um, to the initial killings, and she posits that Harvey then carried out the remainder of them. But again, whether we're talking Alberto, Gilda, Harvey, I really feel like you could have just taken any of these characters and said, like, oh, it was actually them. And it's like, okay, yeah. like, and that's my frustration with this. Well, well, th I think they do a good job dropping the hints that Harvey is definitely there's more to that than meets the eye, right? They they. That whole, you know, duplicity nature of him and then when he becomes Two-Face, it's played out the entire time. I think, you know, they lead you down that path where you believe it's Harvey and maybe only Harvey. And they drop hints here and there. There's that scene in the basement where he's working on the gun. Um, there's also that scene where he comes home for Christmas or New Year's and his hair is wet. Right. I, get, I think that's the same episode where he, th where he kills uh, uh, Alberto. And so, you know, there, there are some subtle things. But you're right. There was no way... You can tell it was Gilda. However, in retrospect, though, after finding out it's Gilda, you know, you understand this this poor lonely woman at home just wants her husband, and she thinks by you know doing his job in this you know interesting way, she'll get him faster, get on with their life, have kids, and everything else. And so, I guess you get her motives later, um, but you would never. I mean. You would never pick up on that. Uh, and the, I guess the same thing is true in Hush, right? I remember reading Hush as it was coming out. We were all at the comic store at that time, and we were all trying to figure out who the fuck Hush was. Uh, and, you know, all of a sudden, it's like, all right, <laughs> you know? Well, well, so, I mean, you, I think you do make a good case for, for this. And look, for anyone listening or watching, if, you know, you feel otherwise, that's, you know, that's right on. Yeah. And, you know, maybe I'm being, uh, you know, unfairly harsh, but I think what, what, furthered my frustration was just having revisited hush so recently and seeing too many parallels yeah, that's what pissed yeah. me off about this if i'm being perfectly right. honest because yeah okay it wasn't so beautifully um, kind of it was like he did it twice now well, he did it's, this it's like he, a dan brown novel well that's the thing he did the same thing right and i don't mean to shatter yeah. the glass for anyone but like <laughs> so in um in in both stories right you have characters who seem like they could be the the villain in in hush in particular yeah. you know they introduce this character of tommy elliott right as this new villain hush enters the scene so immediately as a reader if you've read any comic book story ever you're thinking okay tommy elliott is probably is high now yeah. in the long halloween i don't know i think that that aspect is lessened here because there are more more potential culprits but alberto falcone you know they introduce him he's kind of squirrely and creepy looking he's not in the family business and they make a big point of telling you like he's not in the business but you see these scenes where he's trying to give his father advice he's trying to contribute and the father's shutting him down so right off the bat like i think he emerges as someone that's like oh he could definitely could be this guy then he's seemingly killed just as in hush tommy elliott is seemingly killed 
only for both to reemerge later in the story. Oh, we weren't dead after all. I'm Holiday. I'm Hush. But wait, in both cases, there's actually someone else who's behind it. In Long Halloween, it's Gilda and Harvey, and in Hush, it's Riddler. So that's what kind of annoyed me about this. It's like, you know, just keep doing the same thing. All right, rant over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, certainly there are flaws there, right? But, you know, what makes a perfect Batman story? Um, would it be the perfect mystery? Um, I mean, what what goes involved? What's involved in the best Batman story? Uh, what do you want out of that in terms of characters, character development? Uh, there's so many different characters in this, and it's an interesting take on you know early life of Batman. And so I think it it serves it works well, right? And I don't necessarily think that it's so big of a deal at the end that it's Gilda the whole time. I think you know at the end. It doesn't matter that we couldn't have couldn't have solved the murder because the the clue the the clues weren't there. Um, I think it still works as a story, and it does have that shock that you say like a mystery should have, like that that twist at the very end. It's like you know when she's throwing all the stuff in the uh, the furnace, you're just like, what am I looking at? Because you know at that point in the story, you're like, oh well, I guess it was Alberto. Like you said, it fits the data now at this point that you know he faked his death, and now he can continue. Uh, and nobody suspected him. Uh, but when you see that it's Gilda, it's just like shocking. I forgot that. And so when I reread it the second time, I was like, wow, yeah. <laughs> this is really, it works well. Um, I'm sorry you didn't love it as much. It's okay. Uh, I, you know, I mean, I feel like, I feel like at the time when I read it initially, I was more, more taken with the reveal. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, so maybe part of it now is that I knew what to expect you know, and, and I think yeah. probably I was looking more for, you know, to be honest, it might have been that to a sense, to, to an extent where I was like looking for more of like, okay, these clues that would really show how it, how it all fit. Now, look, all that being said, I, so I don't think it's the best, mis- I, I guess what I'm coming to, I'm coming to the conclusion, I don't think Loeb is the best mystery writer, but mm-hmm. I, I do think he has a very strong handle on the characterization and, and the other aspects of the story. And, and again, like I said, overall, I really, I did enjoy I did enjoy yeah, uh, yeah. You know, everything that we read. Oh, for sure. Uh, I think he raises a lot of interesting, you know, questions uh, throughout it. And, you know, thematically speaking, there's some common themes in all of the works, uh, both in those early uh, Dark Knight, uh, Legends of the Dark Knight books, uh, and certainly in Long Halloween. And then he follows up on some of them in Dark Victory, and he almost tries to tie them together towards the end. Uh, one of the themes that I pick up on a lot uh, in reading these stories is, you know, what is the cost of being Batman? And that's something that is constantly revisited by Loeb um, in those one shots at first, and then also in Long Halloween. Um, certainly, there is a, you know, the character is deep rooted in this point in time, right, where his parents are murdered. And that always seems to stem, uh, all these stories kind of stem from that central point. And some of them go as far as to like, you know, hint at you know, alternative, you know, pathways, so to speak. Like if that weren't to happen, we wouldn't be reading these comic books, right? Um, and if it, you know, happened still and Batman, you know, merged as a different character, how would that have have changed him? Um, but certainly there's a, you know, this theme of, there's a cost involved of him pursuing this and the motivating factor, like, you know, what drives him to do it? Um, there's one of the books, I don't remember which one, they're constantly talking about like, you know, why are you still here 
in in Gotham. Uh, he asks that um, to the uh, the doctor that kind of saves him at the end of the one shots. I can't think of her name, Doctor Tompkins. She's actually a reoccurring character. I had to look her up. Yeah. Um, so that was kind of cool. Like you know, why do you stay here? Uh, I think Gilda asks that of Barbara. Barbara might ask that of Gilda. Uh, Batman certainly asks it of himself. And you know, it always comes back to you know Gotham City kind of needing the Batman. But then you see certain aspects of the story where. You know, you question it. Do, do you really need Batman? Uh, there's points where he can maybe even for a second, you know, walk away a little bit. Like one of the one shots where he meets that woman, uh, Jillian. Yeah. And, you know, he pulls back a little bit and he sees, you know, toys with that idea. Like, hey, maybe I can go on vacation and have a have a life outside of this, a love interest. Uh, but it seems like, you know, Gotham is this, you know, jealous lover that always brings him back. I think these stories really explore that aspect of the character really wonderfully. Um, he always gets pulled back in, right? He obviously is re-resolved. He, he gets like a momentary, like a fleeting, like, you know, you know, he loses his confidence that he can actually do this, continue to do this. And then, you know, she always, Gotham always seems to bring her, him back. And I think that's something that always motivates Batman. I think the best Batman stories kind of, you know, go towards that. I don't know how you feel about that, but certainly uh, I love that idea of the cost involved of being Batman. And then, uh, the biggest cost, I think, is you know the love interest with Selena. I mean, yeah. so it, it's explored so well uh, in these stories, and we could talk about that in a second. But I don't know. What do you think about that? At least that one thematic area of the cost. I, I agree, and I, it's funny because I I honed in on something a little uh, slightly different, but very related. Uh, you know, Loeb makes repeated use of the language of the promise that Bruce made to his parents. He does it in these stories. When he did he make in- this promise? As a five-year-old, I made a promise to my parents to defend God. When? <laughs> when you went to go see Zorro at five? I don't know. It's really weird. I guess it's like later in life, he kind of like, you know, he had this idea that, right? Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, it's quite all right. I was also pissed by that. It was like, what is this promise? He's constantly talking yeah, about it. Yeah, what the it. hell, Lobe? Learn how to write a mystery first. No, I'm, kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh these these stories really i think are an achievement i I don't mean to take away from them but you know but so in these stories and in hush like Loeb really hones in on this language that i made a promise on the grave of my parents to rid this city of the evil that took their lives and there's one of the issues where i I think at the end of it he even says like i might be able to fulfill that promise i think it's maybe it's the christmas episode issue and he's saying like i might be able to fulfill that promise next in this coming year something to that effect if i'm remembering it correctly but that aspect of it is is kind of interesting on a couple levels because on the one hand, it's like there's this real tragic aspect to it where it's like, well, you can never rid the city of evil yeah. totally. Um, it, you know, so so there's so there's that separate. Yeah, and and then it just also begs the question, you know, what realistically, like, what end does he see? You know, it's like, is there is there any way that he actually could fulfill that promise and that he would be able to, I guess, is there any goal he could achieve where he would feel that that goal has been met and that promise totally fulfilled? You know, so so there's that. And then the other thing, and then I, you know, obviously I want to get your, your take on all of this, but the other thing is, and this goes to another just essential question at the heart of the Bat universe is, you know, this idea of does Batman's presence in Gotham attract all of these villains? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I mentioned the TV show Gotham earlier. And again, I know you didn't watch it, but you you might have heard, like one of the criticisms of the show was that they introduced basically the entire rogues gallery 
while Bruce is still a kid. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the common complaint was like these, you know, the, you know, the age difference and, you know, these people are supposed to come on the scene when, you know, when he's older. And, yeah. you know, I didn't mind it so much. You know, it worked well enough in the context of the show. But it's interesting because the Gotham show essentially flipped it then. Because the way Gotham presented, it's like these villains are here and we need Batman to fight them. Yeah. Whereas most other incarnations, you know, it's like Batman shows up. We are dealing with organized crime. Batman shows up. And then all of these costumed villains. So I don't, I do have a preferred version of the story. Like you, I guess, do you like that? that question or that possibility that he is in part responsible. Do you like that aspect? Well, so certainly Gordon uh, alludes to that in one of the stories about when I think when they're at Arkham, he's like, oh, it's like, you know, this wasn't a problem (laughs) until you got here. I think he says, like, do you you ever think about that? And Bruce is like, no. (laughs) He's like, no. (laughs) So dismissive. (laughs) Um, But certainly I think that's part of it. Uh, However, having said that, right, trying to think about when this storyline took place like how far after the events of year one uh do you think this story the long halloween takes place because that would lead lend credence credence to the argument that some of these villains were there before batman right because obviously ivy is a character um you know catwoman is an established you know i mean she was in year one but i mean there's there's people that are established already that are making the appearances you know in this book so you know, is it 10 years after the events of year one or is it like a year later? It's hard to know. I th- I mean, I think the intention is that it's like a year two-esque sort of thing. That's kind of always if been that's the case, sense. then we got a lot of people uh, in this story that don't belong necessarily. Uh, you would think that Pamela Isley would come, you know, later on. Uh, certainly the Joker as well. But everybody is there. I guess Joker makes the appearance at the end of year one, right? It's the, uh, the card. He's like, oh, somebody's going to go p- poison the thing. Right, yeah. right, yeah. But you know, it's it's hard. I I I love the idea that Batman is attracting them. I think that makes the most sense. Um, yeah, I, I don't know, yeah. but I, I I it's hard to. It, does it matter? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, in I don't the know. Batman story in the lore. And and again, there, I mean, no. Go ahead. When you take up a story like this years after the character is established, years after all these people have made a first appearance, it almost doesn't matter. It's like they're already part of the the lore. Uh, they're like Alfred. They've always been here. You know? I love, speaking of Alfred, I love in the Valentine's Day issue where, you know, uh, Gordon goes home to Barbara and Harvey yeah. goes home to Gilda and Bruce goes home to Alfred. <laughs> and that's the one where he's under the influence of, of Poison Ivy. Yeah. Um, did, did you like, because, you know, it's funny, I guess there, it was, as much as I had read these stories before, today was somewhat surprising in certain respects because I guess there were aspects of the story that I didn't remember or that I thought were a larger or smaller part of the story. Like, for example, when we get to Dark Victory, maybe because the cover is Batman and Robin, but in my mind, I was like, this whole thing was about, you know, Robin coming onto this. And Robin plays a very, very small part. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a pivotal part, but relatively small in, the, in terms of screen yeah. time. Um, so that was one thing where I was like, oh, this is very different than what I remembered. I also I also thought that the organized crime aspect like far, far outweighed the rogues gallery. But the rogues gallery actually gets more play in this than I remembered, I guess. Did you feel like it was kind of a good balance showing that transition in Gotham from one type of crime to another? I think so. Um, I, I, I also remembered it mostly as the, the mafia type drama. Um, 
especially with Dark Victory, I was surprised so much, you know, relied on the rogues gallery kind of thing. Um, you know, I think it, 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 it doesn't distract from the fact that it's, it's mostly a, you know, a mobster type movie into a comic book with Batman as the main character detective kind of thing. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I think, you know, when you watch anything cinematically, right, it's always like, you know, are they going to do Poison Ivy right? Are they going to do the Joker right? You, you never know, right? And it's always a, a gamble. Uh, with a book like this where you're introducing so many of the villains into this story that's only a 12 or 13 part story, it's like, well, I mean, are you going to be able to give them enough, you know, quote unquote, screen time to really explore what they're there for, their motivations and things like that. I, and I think more or less it, it works out okay. Um, yeah, but but certainly uh, they are attracted to the madness that is Batman. And I think that's what drives everybody in this. Batman himself, you talk about like what end uh, there would be uh, in his mind. I don't know, because he's driven by pure madness, right? He catches you know, one of these villains, he gets him into Arkham, they break out, he does it again. I mean, how many times do you do that before you throw your hands up and walk away? I mean, Batman seems to be far beyond driven at this point to maintain this, you know, this, this method. And, and, you know, again, true to the character, he'll never kill them. Right. And that's part of the, the whole thing. Um, well, it's funny you bring that up. Which would end his madness. Probably. Well, you know, that's it's funny you mention that because the next episode of this podcast is a look at the DC Injustice story because they just came out with uh -huh. the animated movie. I've not played the game or read the comic book tie-in, but I watched the movie and that'll be the, the focus of the next episode. And I don't know if you're familiar with the premise of, of Injustice, no. um, but essentially uh, Joker is responsible for the murder of Lois and the deaths of millions of people in Metropolis and Superman kills him. And yeah. positions himself as the new world ruler, but it yeah. explores that very question of you know, for for Batman in particular, it's like how did I mean, how many times did this guy escape, and you you know you you didn't put a stop to him, and I mean that's a larger and a separate conversation, but I think that you know tr this idea of like well I do the right thing I don't kill it's like well that has its limits and you especially since those other guys are doing a hell of a lot of killing you know yeah when you think about it right he's allowing it so to speak to continue uh they're never going to be reformed that's for sure and they're always going to break out of gotham or sorry uh, arkham and so you wonder why uh he has that you know or why why don't they uh relocate arkham somewhere else that could be something <laughs> you know? I know why don't they put it, it in the desert <laughs> <laughs> but it's somewhere else <laughs> You know? I, you know what I have to tell you? It was kind of goofy, but I really loved in Dark Victory when the the villains, because you know, again, they break out of Arkham, and then Harvey is organizing them, and and they're escaping through the sewers in Gotham, and then they stumble upon the Batcave. Oh yeah, that was really weird. <laughs> I by know. the way, and then you know, Robin comes <laughs> and he and he, you know, you know, gets them and all, but it's like, well, do they always know that that's the Batcave now? <laughs> Well, cause, and like, <laughs> like Bruce makes a point of saying like the tunnels, like he'll blow up the tunnel, put dynamite and he'll blow up the yeah, tunnels. Yeah, this will yeah. never happen again. I mean, I, this is, but they have geographically some kind of idea now, right? They know roughly is. where it is. I know that's the thing. Yeah. And yeah, yeah I know it's that, a really bad loophole there. This is kind of nitpicky, but you know, you always get the sense that Wayne Manor is like fairly removed from like the yeah. heart of the urban center of Gotham. So it's like, how long were they, you know, traipsing through these tunnels? But uh, but I did think that was kind of, because I don't know, I can't think Close of other instances the where that's happening. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Uh, 
but uh, well, so what else did you have uh, in, in your notes? Because I want to make sure that we get to get to the stuff that you wanted to talk about. Well, you know, certainly that theme, theme of, you know, motivating factors for Batman to continue being Batman. Uh, and I don't know if you picked up on thematically, but I feel like Dark Victory is all about like loneliness and, you know, just people lost. And, you know, everybody has in this Batman universe some sort of, you know, you know, bout with depression over this, you know, loneliness. Um, and maybe it's just the way, you know, I read it twice now and I really feel that that's kind of what they're trying to push uh, in that storyline. I mean, every character has that um, to the point where some of them just put up their hands and have to have to leave. I mean, I think he, he finally drives Selena Kyle away to the point where she leaves the town and, and go and leaves him. Um, which is interesting for that character because there's such this, this playful role between, or this dynamic between Catwoman and Batman. And, you know, they, they definitely have some very adult themes uh, throughout these books. Uh, and so it's clear that she wants a life with Bruce Wayne and Batman. It's unclear whether or not she really knows if, if they're the one and the same person. Uh, I think she does a lot of things. There's that one time where she scratches his face uh, as Batman and then she makes a comment when he's Bruce. Um, but then, you know, again, you get into the Catwoman when in Rome and you're not quite certain if she really even knows. Um, I think she's dr- having these fever dreams where she's putting it all together. Um, but, you know, she's so intimate with both of them. How do you not know uh, this person that you're kissing is the same person? It's very strange to me. Uh, so you, you have to know on some level. And when she finally leaves him, I think it's on Valentine's Day or whatever it is, uh, she's just had enough. And it's, you know, it's impactful, I think. I think it's impactful to Batman as a character. Uh, because he's just so used to the idea that everybody, he's alone in himself, right? But he's used to the idea that everybody's always around, you know, sort of keeping him company. There's always these guys to fight. You know, Gordon's always there for him, you know. Uh, but at the central part of the story, he's he's alone. And, you know, Catwoman offers him, or Selena Kyle offers him a way out. And he constantly pushes her away. And, it, you know, it's sad to see. Um you know, and then, for example, Jim Gordon in this, you know, loses uh, his wife, Barbara, for a little bit, her and his son, uh, James. That has to be crazy, by the way, in that household. You got, you know, James and Jim and then Barbara and Babs, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, my God, that's too much. But, uh, you know, you know, he's struggling to get his family back together. And, you know, there's that one scene where he walks into the empty house and it's like, oh, you know, this empty house, just like his life or something like that. You're like, oh, man, this is like so deep. Um so there's, I don't know if, you know, thematically what they were thinking with Dark Victory, but, you know, that idea of loneliness, being alone, you know, obviously uh, it plays out well with, you know, Batman orphan and then, you know, Dick Grayson orphan. There's there's a lot there to unpack. I don't even know where to start or how to explore that, but uh, I feel like it was really powerful and it was intent, you know, intentional. That's for sure. Uh, uh, yeah, I agree. I mean, and, you know, you, you said there are a lot of, you know, uh, adult themes and and i agree and i think that's where the story really shines i think that's what Loeb does best and i think you see that in for all seasons you see that in the color books that that he and sale Mm -hmm. do at marvel where you know they're really looking at these characters as people and really mining the genuine emotion that they're going through you know especially when you're you know talking about the marvel color books largely grief you know most of them or or all of them are the main our main hero you know, recounting uh, the, you know, a loved one or talking to a loved one they've lost. Um, and, you know, Superman for all seasons, we're seeing Superman through the eyes of the people who love and hate in the case of Lex, you know, love and hate him. And, 
and and again, you, yes, we have the superhero trappings, but the the themes of of love and hate are are very human and fundamental and and work in any setting. And I, so I do think that's what Loeb does best. I too really liked the uh, Bruce Selina and Batcat dynamic. I thought it was it was fun, but it also showed you, especially when he's with Selina and when Batman is with Catwoman, it's like you know, she could be a, a way out of this world for him or she could, you know, yeah. they could be part of each other's world. Like it could be a way for him to continue to do this, but not, not be so alone. So, I, and to your question, I think that especially reading one in Rome, it seems like she doesn't consciously know that Bruce is Batman, mm -hmm. but definitely on some level she does because when she is having those fear, fear induced, you know, hallucinations, she's, you know, she's seeing him as Bruce, or she, and we, uh, there's one bit where she she's seeing him as Batman and she calls him Bruce. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. that whole thing. Now, look again, another another. I feel like the fear gas. I feel like Loeb really likes that fear gas. Um, he likes certain villains, and certainly Scarecrow is one of his his go to villains. And the fear toxin, you know, I guess it allows him to explore different aspects of the characters um, through under the influence of drugs, so to speak. You know, a fever yeah. dream and things. Yeah. I, now, but I agree with you. I think that that theme of loneliness is really at the heart, definitely of, of Dark Victory. And, you know, even just looking at the first and last pages of those stories, I mean, Dark Victory begins with him saying, I'm alone. And it ends yeah. with him swearing in Robin, their no ceremony yeah. in the Batcave. And, yeah. you know, one of the things that I, I really love the most about Dark Victory was uh, the way they drew the parallel between uh, Bruce and the immediate aftermath of his parents' deaths and what Dick is going through now. And especially when we see uh, Dick go into the the um, Thomas and Martha's bedroom and then we get the flashback to Bruce doing the, the same, same thing scene. as a kid yeah. and, and yeah. Alfred. And, you know, in the past, Bruce said, like, I'm alone. And I guess Alfred didn't, you know, didn't really offer what, what, he, what he or, needed or know to. what to do. I mean, right. I mean, he was a butler. I mean, you know, he wasn't a father figure yet. I think over time he became through raising Bruce and, and raising Batman, he became a father. Um, right. And so he takes and the opportunity. Yeah, yeah. And he takes the opportunity now yeah. to remedy that with, with Dick and to say, no, you're not alone. And, you know, I, I've quoted this before on, on the, the podcast, but I don't know if you ever read Graham Morrison's run on Batman. No, but fortunately, sorry. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a very, if you like Morrison, it's a great run, but there's this bit, you know, towards the end of the run where Batman says the, the first truth of Batman, the saving grace is I was never alone. And, and that's the thing, as much as we do think of him as that loner. Um, yeah. Well, it's funny because on the one hand, I think we think of him as a loner, but then on the other hand, if you're reading the, the current comics in particular, you know, Gotham, the bat family has grown so much that maybe you don't always think of him as a loner because you've got all these Robins yeah. and Huntress and bat, you know, you've got all these other characters floating around. But like when you really strip it down to this year one, year two era, yeah. it's like even at the, even at the, the earliest point, it's like Alfred is there with him, you know, but yeah, yeah that idea yeah. of loneliness. And I agree with you because I think, you know, after the events of the long Halloween and the descent of Harvey Dent, I mean, you know, Batman and Dent and Gordon were friends. We find out that Bruce was considering revealing his secret identity to Harvey, to Dent, but yeah. not to yeah. Gordon, which I thought was kind of odd. Why, why only <laughs> Harvey? <laughs> you know, and, and, you know, it's funny too, because, you know, how can talking about being a good detective, how does, you know, Gordon not know uh, at this point, uh, he even makes some some interesting observations about what it would be like to be Batman. Like in one of the, I think the, the one shots he was like, uh, 
you know, he can't have a family. Uh, you know, he always answers the bat signal kind of thing, right? Like it wouldn't be possible if he had a family and kids and wife. And so, you know, I think he puts together the pieces uh, and he knows well, who could be Batman, right? He thinks that for a while he thinks Dent could be Batman, right? So he knows the type of person, right. you know, and I don't know why he doesn't make the connection that it could be Bruce Wayne. I guess because Bruce does such a great job of being that aloof playboy. Um, who knows? I mean, honestly, I think I think he either he does know. I think yeah. that's the honestly, I think if we're looking at this as realistically as possible, it's like, of course, Gordon would know. Or yeah. he like is truly like willfully ignorant. And and to your point, like he's like, well, yeah, it could be Bruce Wayne. It could be this guy. Like he's got a yeah. few people, but he's like never. A plausible deniability case. He doesn't have to. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so, I mean, I don't think, I don't think Batman would have any qualms or Bruce would have any qualms revealing himself to Gordon. I don't think so. Uh, but why he doesn't explicitly, it's, it's hard to know. Does he ever? I wonder. Oh, there's, Certainly not in these books. Well, you know what? Going back to my start in Batman comics in No Man's Land, um, yeah. the the relationship between Batman and Gordon is fractured for most of that story. We find out that when Gotham was initially declared a No Man's Land, Bruce left. He yeah. fled. And then he eventually comes back. Um, but Gordon is angry at him for leaving. And they have this heart-to-heart in uh, the garden outside Gordon's house. And, you know, Batman is saying, you know, is explaining that I, you know, I lost my sense of purpose. I needed to find it again. I need, I needed to leave and come back. And he's like, the only thing I, I can think of to show you like how much this partnership means and, and how sorry I am is to reveal my identity. And so he takes off the cowl, but Gordon turns around and he says, uh-huh. I don't, I don't want to know. And he goes, and for all, you know, I figured this out years ago. And so he uh-huh. puts on the cap, but then, and oh, then they're, they're good. It's, yeah. It was great. It's, it's my, it's, yeah, it's, le- it's legends of the dark Knight, one twenty five. I want to say, or something around there. It's right. my favorite issue of, of no man's land. Uh, but what I was going to say was, I, I agree with you, this, this theme of loneliness, right? Cause after the descent of Harvey, you know, Batman comes into dark victory, you know, really oh, trauma- traumatized by yeah. that. And he's purposely yeah. keeping Gordon at a distance, right? Like he, his takeaway yeah from the long Halloween is I have to do this alone. And it takes yeah. a good bit of dark victory before he really, you know, was actively working with Gordon again. And, and then hand in hand with that, you have the introduction of Dick Grayson. But yeah, I think thematically, I think dark victory works really well uh, as far as that idea of, of the loneliness. He also loses trust in himself at the end of long Halloween at the beginning of dark victory, right? Because he thought it was Harvey and then it wasn't, even though he was right. Right. But he thinks that he's wrong. He thinks that it's Alberto. And so, you know, he's like, I can't be, I can't afford to be wrong kind of thing. And so, you know, I think that's causes him to pull back a little bit, um, maybe to try to fine, fine tune his detective skills, Bruce. Uh, I, you know, <laughs> so I, that's something else I want to ask you. And, and I guess this is somewhat open to interpretation, but you know, as we talked about, you know, Alberto resurfaces again, this is the son of Carmine Falcone seemingly yeah. killed. Uh, emerges alive, having faked his death, and he claims credit for the holiday killer murders. And then at the very end, as we said of the long Halloween, Gilda is burning the the evidence in the in the basement of the house, and and she talks about how she committed the first few. And then, as far as she knows, but it doesn't seem like they ever had an explicit conversation about this. Harvey picked up where she left off. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. that's that's her speculation, and unless I missed it, and like we never that we're we never know for if it was really sure Harvey, if it was really hard. So I think that I mean, where do you kind of land on that? Do you take what she said at 
face value or do you think that maybe there's another another possible because i feel like they leave it open-ended enough where you don't really know for sure we only get what she thinks well that's true too uh i guess my interpretation of it the whole time was it was harvey and then you know you get that oh my god it's alberto and then you get oh my god it's it's uh, gilda i really think at the end uh it's low revealing the entire time that it was Harvey and Gilda. And I think that the calendar man, for example, alludes to that the entire time. It was like the he, she, she yeah. thing. Uh, it's, it fits well with the duality of the characters. So I don't think it was Alberto ever. I think that he saw the opportunity to claim it uh, as a way, active defiance against his father. I think he says it at one time. He's like, you know, I wanted to be part of the organization and now I'm bigger than the organization. You know, he, he uses it as just a very convenient, you know, ploy to get some notoriety. And it's clear that in Dark Victory, he doesn't really have the nerve to use a gun or kill anybody. So it definitely, I don't think, was him. I, I, uh, I don't I don't disagree with that. And, you know, the Long Halloween special that just came out, again, we don't we still don't get as far as getting that official explicit confirmation. But we do get closer yeah. to this, you know, because the, the premise of that is Gilda resurfaces after having left Gotham and we see her escaping from a, an asylum and coming back to Gotham and uh, the calendar man kidnaps her. And yeah. Harvey goes to Batman for help. And, you know, by the end of the issue, Batman comes away from it with this strong suspicion that the Dents have a secret. I mean, yeah. I don't know that he's quite fully gotten there yet, but uh, he seems to be a little bit closer to putting the larger puzzle together. But it is interesting, and you alluded to this before, this idea that, you know, I mean, we, we can make fun of his detective skills, but it's like even... <laughs> Even after Dark Victory, even after this last special that came out, it's like we as the reader still now have more information than Batman yeah. does. So that's interesting yeah. to kind of, yeah. I don't know, I can't think of a ton of other Batman stories that like really fall into that category. It's kind of interesting. No, but there's a lot of movies that have that. Like you yeah. get to see the uh, the crime and then you get to see the main character try to put it all together. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and again, it's this is something that has eluded him for you know, at this point, almost two years of his his life in in terms of comic books, you know, there I don't think they uh, have enough evidence, right? I mean, Dent obviously um, did the right thing. If he was the, in fact uh, Holiday, he you know he knew how to conceal himself and and commit these perfect crimes, so to speak. Um, one thing that's never really quite clear is is the Riddler in terms of you know, does he really know that it was Dent Gilda? Uh, or or what? And he doesn't really talk, and he gets confronted by Batman. I think it was in Dark Victory about it, like, or maybe no, maybe it was at the end of Long Halloween. It's like, who is this? And you know, he's just full of riddles, I guess. Uh, he's not talking. So I think the evidence is there, but you know, Batman hasn't put it together, right? And and, and in terms of the strength of the books, how did you feel about this book, this this new one shot here, in oh. terms of all the other ones? I, I, I liked it. I wasn't necessarily so blown away, but to be honest, I, yeah. you know what? I think, you know, going back to our old comic shop and the, the, the gentleman we worked for for many years, you know, he would always say, keep your expectations low. I think my yeah. expectations were a little too high. I think when they talked about, yeah. you know, there are, there are secrets left over from the long Halloween. I was like, Oh, like, right. what are we going to, cause yeah. you know what? Yeah. And so, and I didn't really feel like it delivered on that. Like it was enjoyable enough, but considering we're 20 years, you know, from, yeah, they're from, so far away from the source material, these guys that, you know, it, 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 it was lacking. There were certain things that I loved of it, you know, for example, you know, Batman going trick or treating. 
uh, with Gordon and Barbara and, and Robin. That's yeah. hilarious. That was it's so absolutely funny. hilarious. What does Gordon say? Like nobody's going to believe this <laughs> or something yeah. like that. It's great, uh, but largely, you know, you look at it, you're just like, ah, you know, I don't know what they could have done. I don't know what they were planning on doing. Uh, I find out that I don't really like Calendar Man as a villain. He's, <laughs> you know, but. It's, it was an interesting take. Uh, I don't want to reveal too much about this, because this, I guess, is new enough that I don't want to put spoilers out there. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think this was the strongest of all the ones that I read, that's for sure. Um, and I don't think it does such a great job of tying it all together. I love that they're you know, re-engaging this, this time period, you know, continuing on the story. I would love to see them do more. Um, I think this was kind of a rush job. I don't know. I, again, I agree. Like I liked it well enough overall, but in terms of, again, just how, how long it's been. And I think what they built this yeah. up to be, you know, it was, it was fine as this little vignette yeah. in this time period. And I, I don't know, I get, especially after that interview that I read where they were talking about wanting to do more, it's like, yeah. I don't know, I guess this really was more just my, my suspicion is like they're testing the waters and yeah. maybe yeah. they do have a larger story that, that they'll give us, but let's take one more quick commercial break. And then I want to talk about the question that I thought this special might answer uh, and that I okay. was disappointed that it didn't. <laughs> so right. I'll be right back. Should Dadigans is a weekly podcast by dads sharing their fairly new dad experiences <laughs> and also just talking about whatever, listen, relate and laugh. I was a guest on episode 90, and it was a blast. One of the hosts is a multiple guest of this show, Justin DeVoe. To follow Justin's fitness and cosplay journey, follow him on Instagram at Lobo. And if you're interested in starting or continuing your own fitness journey, check out Iron and Honor on Instagram. If you enjoy this show, please make sure you subscribe, rate, and review. I also hope you'll consider joining my Patreon community. The support of my patrons enables me to produce this podcast and... Patrons get rewards too, including exclusive episodes, advanced listens, and more. Sign up today and get instant access to the back catalog. Visit patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. Thank you to all of my patrons. I truly appreciate your support. All right, and we're back. So the thing that I thought they might address, and I guess maybe this will be fodder for another story at some point, but you know, we find out in Long Halloween that there was this history between Thomas Wayne and mm-hmm. Carmine Falcone's father, right? Falcone Sr. brings Carmine to Wayne Manor when Carmine's been shot and Thomas saves him and the father is like, you know, I'll pay you any price. And Thomas is like, well, I don't need your money. Yeah. And the father is like, well, you know, it helps to have a powerful friend. And, you know, Thomas alludes to something that he might want, but we don't get further explanation on that. So like, that's what? No, no, right. And then later on, uh, that that uh, kind of the stooge that Maroney puts in there, I guess, right? That uh, I can't even think of the guy's name with the glasses. Um, yeah, like kind Vernon of finds or that. Yeah, Vernon. That's right. He finds this link between you know the fathers, and and you think you would have to assume that it's more than just he saved the kid's life at the at the manor, but but you don't really know. You don't, and so maybe this was a good way to tie up that end. But you know, what could it have been? I mean, definitely monetary of some sort. I thought somewhere there was like a hospital uh, that he helped build, but I'm, I don't remember. Maybe I'm forgetting. No, but may I mean maybe I mean yeah maybe there were clues in there that I missed as far as what the what the favor was. But I don't know. I felt like that was something that could have been explored, um, and and you know may, maybe will be at some point. But what else? What else do yeah. you have in your notes there? Oh my gosh, there's so much I don't even know. So one of the things I really liked about Dark Victory was the scene where 
he basically brings Robin to fulfill like what he always wanted to do, which was find the killer of his parents and then murder or kill. I don't know. I don't know what Batman really, what that fantasy involves, right? Does it involve finding the killer and then killing that guy? Uh, but certainly through Dick, he gets to, you know, live some of that fantasy. And it's kind of surprising he lets him go as far as he did. I think the guy died of a heart attack from running away. Uh, but still, nonetheless, I mean, you know, there's, you know, that, you know, you wonder how Dick is going to, you know, live or cope with that, right? I mean, he now murders this guy or responsible for the murder of this guy who murders his parents. Does that make it right? I don't know. Uh, but I think it's an interesting aspect of both characters and how they they treated that scene. Um, yeah, I don't know. There's something there that I would love to think about, but I don't know if it's formed in my head on how to talk about it. But, you know, Batman certainly has some kind of, you know, remorse that he's never been able to find the killer. I think he even says that. It's like, I've never been able to find the killer, but hey, I found, you know, this guy for Dick. He's going to go kill this guy. You know, that speaks Unbelievable. to... You know, that speaks to when we're talking about these like big picture Batman questions as far as, you know, yeah. what, what we like in the mythology. You know, there have been different versions of that, right? There have been versions of the story where it is Joe Chill, like he knows who kills his parents mm-hmm. and he, and yeah. he captures yeah. him. And in another the movie, version. right? I think. Yeah. yeah. In one of the Tim Burton movies. I... I I much prefer the version where he doesn't know, where it forever remains yeah. this unsolved. Where, what, what do you prefer? Yeah, I don't want to know. It's a nameless kind of guy, and 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 you wonder what kind of closure that would bring uh, to Batman. I think he's driven by not knowing, uh, and I don't think he does a job where he's trying to find out either. It's just one of those, you know, this happened. Um, you know, I don't think there's any sort of ongoing file in his Batcave about who this could be. Uh, I don't think he wants to know. That's for sure. Um, yeah, it should be a nameless guy. It, I think it should be, and I because I also think that. Well, so I guess okay. The the counter argument. I think on the one hand, you could argue, well, he if he is the world's greatest detective, it's like you know he probably would be able to solve this. There's I don't yeah, want to. But that's yeah. that, a cold case from ten years ago, True. fifteen years ago. True. I mean, come on, there's no evidence to be had. True, but he's Batman. Um, <laughs> but but I but no again. I mean, I definitely I'm with you. I like this idea that yeah. he doesn't know, and this is just someone who's out there, and I think that makes it more believable and more compelling that he makes the promise that he makes and that he continues carrying this on. Because, I mean, I don't know. If he solves the case and he knows it's Joe Chill and he, Joe Chill is behind bars, I, I, I don't know. Is Does it make as much sense then that he, He's done. That yeah. he is still, you He's know, Batman. given himself yeah. so totally to this at the expense of the rest of his life? I, I don't know. Yeah. So I, It's I an interesting like thing because it, it's hard to know what motivates you know, Batman. Uh, I think it's a little bit more complex than some of the other superheroes, right, that are out there. Because uh, I don't think it's any one thing. I mean, everybody points to, all the story writers point to the death of the parents, and that was kind of like the spark. But that certainly wouldn't keep the fire burning for his entire life. I mean, at some point, you know, you, through therapy, you, you move on. Um, so there's other things in his life that that keep him there, in that, you know, keeps that moment uh, in his life so important uh, and as a driving factor. But I think there's other th- motivating factors in there as well. Well, that's interesting because I mean like, so what I would say to that is it's like, but yeah, this is a guy who's never done therapy. Like he for, is yeah. forever traumatized and he's never processed it. So, I mean, I think there is, yeah. yeah, just a tremendous amount of psychological damage. Like this is not a healthy way to deal with it. And if he did, if he did try to deal with it in any healthy way, he probably wouldn't still be doing this. Uh, I want to turn it back to you in a second, but I just want to pick up on something you said before that I, and I meant to say with with Harvey. I love that Harvey got as much play 
in these stories as he did. Um, you know, I loved his role in Batman Year One, um, and and it was really cool getting to see him as that crusading district attorney and to see where he started. Um, you know, my my qualms with the reveal in the Long Halloween aside, I do. I do like this idea that he was, he did have this break and that he was the holiday killer for at least some of the killings before he Mm -hmm. becomes Two-Faced because the idea that like he's just a good guy until the acid is thrown in his face, then he loses it. I feel like that's Uh, not as interesting as what we get here. So I am a fan of this version of Harvey. For sure. He was always in love with the idea that you know, Batman as this vigilante can do things that him as the district attorney or Gordon or the police, they just couldn't do. Um, he has, you know, just like Falcone, he has this ability to walk above the law, so to speak, in certain aspects. And I think he admires, you know, Batman in that regard. Uh, and so much so that he plays with becoming. And I think um, Holiday is his version of Batman, like how he would perceive to mete out justice. I think he goes that extra step because he feels that that's the way to do it uh, versus, you know, I don't think he's the kind of guy who's going to beat some guy up in the alley. Uh, he doesn't strike fear into the hearts of cr- criminals in a bat suit. I think he even mentions that too. Like he doesn't dress up or something like that. Uh, whatever it is. Actually. Yeah. There's a fun line like that. Where, what is that line? Do you know what I'm talking about? Uh, yeah, but I don't, I don't have it. I don't have it offhand. Yeah. It's, it's the first time they meet on the roof. I think, uh, let me see if I can find it really quick. Oh yeah, when when he's like, uh, you know, and says uh, to to Dent that there was a time where I thought you were a Batman, and he says to that he's like, sorry, I'm quite happy with who I am, you know, like he's he's not the kind of guy who gets into the costume and and beats people up, but I guess he is the kind of guy who puts on a trench coat and a hat and maybe shoots them. Um, I guess it's it's a, it's an interesting take. I think Dent was always two faced, and I think that's Batman alludes to that several times. Um, it's it and two you know being a batman you know reader for so long seeing the origin of harvey dent or sort of 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 two-face you know from the beginning this you're dealing with two-face it's very hard to you know watch this or read this and say well he's you know there's this there's never that reveal where you're shocked that he becomes two-face he's always two-face and i kind of like that idea that aspect of it how they write it yeah no i'm i'm with you on that uh there's (laughs) you know one of my favorite one of my favorite scenes is in Dark Victory, um, you know, when uh, Two-Face has recruited the other rogues and Joker has a line where he's like, like this guy, you only ever want the same thing. It's like you want to you want to take out the, you know, the the organized crime in Gotham. It's like you wanted to put them behind bars as the district attorney. Yeah. You want to kill them yeah. now as Two-Face. It's like it's always the same thing with you. But I, I, yeah. I, I really I thought that was funny. I like that. Yeah. Is that the scene where he kills him at the end where he shoots him? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think end. so. Yeah. Oh. yeah. No, Joker is very very funny in this in several different ways. And I love his idea of uh, trying to figure out, it, it, I, you know, again, these two books, it, they're so intertwined. It's hard to know what happened when. And it's either when Joker's trying to figure out who Holiday is or the hangman killer. But I think he, he robs the crop duster plane. He's just going to crop dust Manhattan or, or Gotham City with a bunch of chemicals because he's like, well, he's got to be here somewhere. Yes. You know <laughs> <laughs> I love that idea. It's just so great. Yeah. I don't know who he is, but I'll get him. That was great. Yeah, that that was in that was in Long Halloween, and it was, yeah. it's like he's it like, I'm so trying great. to help Batman. It's like, yeah, exactly, <laughs> I'm doing you a favor. Yeah, that no, that was really funny. I I really liked 
I think this was the end of Long Halloween when um, Carmine is is a, is attacked and all the the villains are there and Batman, you know, through the narration where he he describes how he, you know he's going to take them out in a surgical manner and he really describes you know, I guess kind of the lesson that he attack first kind of thing, like the yeah. lesson that he learned from his father, the surgeon that now he's applying right. on the battlefield. It's like, Hey, you take out the most dangerous ones first and then, you know, you yeah. neutralize the lesser threats. And, and, and I like that. I mean, there's a lot where he, and I think this was an aspect of, of these stories that I enjoyed the most when he is reflecting on, on his, on his parents and, and their influence and the, and the memory and, and all of that. I thought that was, that was very strong as well. Did you, uh, did you happen to read ghosts, which was the third, uh, one shot that it was the one that directly precedes uh, Long Halloween. No, I didn't go that far. I, I only read the That's first. Fine. I reread the first so of the three. It's a really interesting thing. It's a take on a Christmas Carol, um, but during Halloween, right? So he gets visited first by his father, and then Ivy takes him around, and then Joker takes him around, and then I guess him, he, you know, Batman as death takes him around, which is interesting. Um, and it's kind of like again, like this, you know, looking back at his life, just like in a Christmas story or a Christmas Carol, and realizing there's some, you know, fine tuning that needs to be done. But I think an interesting thing that they play with there is the sense of obligation. As you know, and Thomas talks about, you know, being a surgeon, he was always called in the middle of the night. He always had this kind of sense of duty to his detriment, and he realizes, I guess, as a ghost, that you know, this was not the right way. Uh, to to go about things, and I guess Bruce picks up on that. And it's like a really interesting story where you know he is, is shown several different points in history where you know there were multiple chances for him to get off the highway, so to speak, before he became Batman. And he you know he's followed the wrong road, so to speak, and became Batman. But at the end of the story, he kind of finds a way to you know pick up some loose threads and and uh, with Lucius Fox, it was like an interesting story. Uh, but again, it, I think it's a very interesting idea with this sense of duty and obligation that he he gets from his father, uh, seeing him as a surgeon always, you know, has having to leave. I think in one of the stories, um, no, I guess it was that same story, like Thomas was going to take him out trick or treating, and he couldn't because he was at the hospital, and that kind of again factors in. Zorro, by the way, I never really thought how how big of a thing Zorro was in Young Bruce Wayne. But it kind of makes sense that he becomes the mass vigilante later. I think I, I really like that idea, uh, and 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 Loeb and Sale bring that up a couple of times. And I guess that's always a movie that he goes to see, right, with his parents. It's always the Mask of Zorro. Yeah, I think pretty consistently. But uh, but yeah, no, that that is really cool. I mean, again, I read that years ago, so I have a vague memory yeah. of it. But I, yeah, I didn't reread it. But it was it was great to hear you describe it. And yeah, I mean, you know, that parallel between you know. Bruce as Batman getting called away by the bat signal at a moment's notice versus, you mm -hmm. know, Thomas getting, getting called to the hospital. I mean, it's interesting that, it's learned that behavior. parallel between father and yeah. son. Yeah. yeah I, he doesn't think anything of it. Yeah. It's just like, this is what you do as, you know, you live in this manner. This is what you do. You're called to duty. His dad was a doctor. He's Batman. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, what else, what else uh, mm -hmm. are on your notes? Well, so, I mean, we would be remiss in not talking about uh, Selena uh, and her potential parentage, uh, which is, I think, really an interesting aspect of the character. So throughout these stories, there's always this Batman is trying to figure out what the hell is the connection between, you know, Selina or Catwoman and the Falcone family. She seems to always be around when he's around. He can't figure uh, it out, though. <laughs> he can't. He's a detective. He can't figure <laughs> it out. And so I don't know necessarily, 
at what point she robs the safe inside Falcone's penthouse, but she finds the photo, um, I guess, of Falcone and, uh, you know, a potential daughter. And uh, that's not Sophia. And so she believes that it could be her. And she goes on this quest after she kind of breaks things off with Bruce, both as Catwoman and as uh, uh, Selena Kyle. She goes to Rome to try to figure out if she is, in fact, the uh, the daughter of, of Falcone. And I think that's an interesting take on this whole thing. Uh, you know, there's a couple of scenes where you get the sense that she's known for a while um, that she could be the uh, the daughter of Falcone because that uh, when she kills Sophia, I thought there was a very interesting scene. She doesn't kill Sophia when when she takes Sophia out the window. There's that very interesting scene where she calls her Sophia. She's probably never met her ever, but potentially this could be her sister. You know, so she probably knows everything about her. Um, so I thought that was a really interesting idea to go with. I mean, you don't know anything about Catwoman. This probably is one of the first stories, right, where they explore potentially who she is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I think that's I think that's fair to say. Yeah, I like that aspect of it too, and I, you know, I enjoy the one in Rome miniseries, but more this time probably than I did in in the past. I think, especially reading it uh, right alongside all of the other ones, and you really see yeah. how it fits right into Dark Victory. It's like yeah. as soon as you know oh, she's so beautiful, she leaves for that trip. Yeah. It's like okay, now we get to see the side story. So I think that was perfect fodder for a spinoff, and it was cool. You know, as much as a lot of characters got play in Long Halloween and Dark Victory, but the only one whose narration we actually heard was Bruce's throughout the story. So it was cool, I thought, to now get this shift in point of view and really see yeah. the story from Catwoman's perspective. So I, I, overall, yeah, I really I, I enjoyed that. What did you think of the One in Rome miniseries? No, I think it was great. Uh, you know, and again, it's, it's her sort of after like a breakup, right? And so, you know, she's still dealing with that. Uh, while she's in Rome, and then she meets the blonde, right? And there's almost like a, you know, some kind of love interest there towards the end of that storyline too, which is the same thing where I think she finally thinks that maybe she can escape, you know, Bruce as a, you know, uh, you know, as a potential lover and go on with her own life, right? She's always looking for Bruce to kind of start life with, but, you know, he's not offering that for her. So maybe she can find a different uh, avenue, but I guess at towards the end that doesn't happen. I mean, he gets murdered, obviously, um, but she goes back and she goes back to Bruce, which is you know like an abusive relationship. There, I hate to say it. I mean, this is not a healthy relationship between two people, uh, both the Bruce and Selena and Batman and Catwoman. They're very toxic relationships, and she she goes right back, um, and it's sad to see almost, you know. But I mean, I guess it's you know something that she wants badly enough. Um, and it's interesting. She doesn't, I don't think she has, I think she would pick either man, you know, she would pick Bruce if, if that went, or she would have picked Batman. It's really interesting. And then there's a the whole thing about taking off the masks and, you know, wanting to reveal themselves to Catwoman. Uh, it's certainly someone that he does not want to reveal himself to surprisingly. I don't know. Yes. Yeah, I know. That's interesting. I mean, you know, eventually we will get that in Hush. You yeah. know, we, you know, Loeb will tell that story, but um, yeah, it, I know it's interesting, especially in these stories. You know, the, uh, again, the only well, uh, you know, Dick Grayson and and Harvey Dent are the two that Batman either reveals or thinks about revealing Almost his identity it, yeah. to. Yeah, uh, I have to say that this was the first time I read these stories after having watched The Sopranos. And oh, uh, yeah, yeah. So I feel like I had I love The Sopranos. It's, oh yeah, God, so good. Did you watch The Many Saints of Newark? I, I wasn't a huge fan. Neither was I. But, <laughs> yeah, I was like, all right. 
Yeah, that was a little that was a little bit of a letdown, but uh, well, yeah, because he's always talking about Dicky Multisanity yeah. and like this relationship they had. They didn't have much of a relationship, as evidenced by that movie. Anyway, we we're not talking about Sopranos, but that's no, I, I, I agree. That was one of the issues I had yeah. with the movie, but uh, but no, but so this was the first time reading these, and I feel like I definitely appreciated all the the organized crime aspect of it even more. And yeah. yeah, I mean, that's like, that's the thing. I li- overall, I liked the treatment of the Gotham villains that we got. I didn't really have many objections. But it wasn't their story. It wasn't, it wasn't th- their story. It was, it was Harvey's story and the Falcone story, right? And, and that's it. Uh, everybody else was kind of, you know, you know, you can't have a Batman story like this, an epic story, and not have the Joker right. and the Riddler and things like that. But they weren't necessary. And I, I appreciated that. And Catwoman. Catwoman was a big part of it, obviously, too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, but yeah, no, like I really in- enjoyed all of the politics of the organized crime and the family dynamics, you know, with Carmine, uh, Alberto, Sophia, Mario, then in, in, in the sequel. And, uh, you know, the, the the tension with the sister from Chicago, Carla. And yeah, I, mean, it was, I, I, I was there for all of that. I thought that was, yeah, that was, that was yeah, really yeah. cool. It was a crime family. You got to see it. And then the, 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 the rival Bob boss, uh, uh, the was a Maroni's family, right? Yeah. Which, which, which is what I uh, messaged you about earlier today. I had no idea that this was a, an established character in the Batman mythos. Uh, and so, uh, for whatever reason, after reading the Long Halloween, I was like, well, I wonder what the origin of Two Face really was in the in the Golden Age. And so, using the app, I was able to look it up. Detective sixty six is the first Riddler. Uh, sorry, not Riddler. Um, first Two Face. And he, he appears as Harvey uh, Kent. Did you notice that? Yes. By the way? <laughs> yeah. I thought that was really interesting. And uh, he gets acid thrown on his face in court by Maroney. It's like this exact same thing as Long Halloween. So I thought that was really a beautiful nod to the uh, the origin story. Um, and so Maroney was always a character in the Batman mythos. We just never knew, I guess. So he predates uh, Falcone. Or Falcone. Yeah. No, I was glad when you when yeah. you texted me that, and I, I did read those those first couple of pages of Detective sixty six. It's yeah. just like, wow, look at that. No, that's. I mean, that's the thing. It's like you know, you can. They did their homework they, when they, they wrote this. They didn't just, hey, I'm going to write a Batman story. I mean, they did their homework. You want to do a, a Batman story that's involved Two Face? I'll read every Two Face. They did it. You know. Yeah. That. I mean, that's the thing. I mean, going all the way back to the the origin of Two Face, or like we said, even just going back, you know, a, a de- at that point, a decade prior to uh, year one, and you know, when we get to Dark Victory, and and that the villain this time, not the Holiday Killer, but the Hangman, you know, is taking out current or former members of the Gotham City Police Department. You know, these are all the characters who had been established by Frank Miller in year one. So Commissioner Loeb mm-hmm. and Detective Flass and uh, Merkel. Like, so it was it was cool to see you know those characters you know kind of all all yeah. come back and, and get that play as well uh, like i said the you know Loeb and sale have talked about after this special that just came out of doing more if they were to do you know if they were to complete the trilogy as it were and not just do specials but actually do another like 13 issue epic i guess what what focus would you want it to have or or you know what elements would you be looking for do you have any kind of wish list for what you would want a third installment to be well, so I had high expectations for this one shot, and I'd rather almost go into it completely blind than than try to, <laughs> you know, art or story direct these guys. I think they know what they're doing. Uh, certainly, another aspect that is more, I, I feel like this this one shot here was so like just like a Batman story, like a, like you know, there's so many good Superman stories, and I guess you should tie it to Superman at some point, right? Um, 
there's so many good Superman stories that you know explore his origins, his 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 motivations, different aspects of his life, and then there's the ones that Superman is rescuing a cat out of a tree, right? I feel like this is just this is a Batman story, right? There was no like extra focus on plot development, really driving the characters. It was just like, well, let's just use the same you know storylines that we had before. We'll just write a little bit more that could have been an extra issue, so to speak, you know. And I didn't think that it it worked so well. And so whatever they do, I hope they go back to the roots and really think about you know plotting out a thirteen issue story. And I know they will, right? I don't think they're just going to willy nilly just start writing. Um, but I mean, obviously, they've done Two Face now to death. Uh, I don't think that another Two Face story. I mean, maybe, maybe they could do. It. I mean, keep, keep going. Is that their Leonardo DiCaprio? Is uh, you know Harvey Dent and Two Face? I don't know. It's hard to know. Um, I think he fits well with this. You know, the tone of these books, right? Uh, the, this character, this du- dual character, just like Batman and Bruce Wayne, this duality. I think he works. In, in their their storytelling, uh, whereas you know some of the other rogues galleries are just too far out there. I mean, like you know, can you have a thirteen part issue about the the penguin? I mean, he's good for half of an issue, you know. But obviously, you you bring up Scarecrow. They do Scarecrow a lot. Um, I yeah. would I would wonder what what kind of t- you know direction they would take a another epic story like this. Yeah, I think they've done enough with Scarecrow. Unless they find, I, I don't know. I feel like they would need to find a new angle than than the like yeah. again. I, they, and so I guess that's where I don't. I don't know that I have an answer to the question I asked you. I, I think that, and I was joking with you about this off mic before, but because you know we were saying how you know it's, it's, it can be a little tough now keeping the two stories straight. Like we just you know, you know the, yeah. the twenty six issues of Long it's, Halloween it's and Dark one, Victory. Yeah, it's one story. But it is one story, but it's also, you know, both stories have a holiday killer and, you know, the type yeah, of yeah, the yeah. category the of victims of change, right. but it's like the same thing. Yeah. So I guess would I necessarily want to see another year long story where someone is killed on a holiday every month? No, not really. Yeah. I think it would need to be something a little, a little different. Uh, I do think that, yeah, Harvey Dent really does seem to uh, fit in this this world and maybe as a bit of a muse for for these creators so i wouldn't i wouldn't mind more of a harvey story you know maybe there's an attempt at redemption for harvey dent that is that is part of it and there have been other stories uh you know like that um but including in hush where harvey's face is fixed so yeah, i mean they've played with that murder. before yeah. I, I guess one thing is that i wouldn't because I, I think if you look at long halloween and dark victory i mean they were told in a way where they don't you know, they don't contradict or they didn't contradict the then present continuity, right? Like they didn't contradict the stories that people were reading present day at the time. I guess I wouldn't mind if they, you know, it doesn't have to be bound. It doesn't have to fit into something necessarily as long as it fits in the world they've created. So I actually wouldn't mind if they took some liberties like we know batman and catwoman don't discover each other's identities right until later like during hush but you know what i, I would be fine if in this next story they got into that or something else like i yeah, you know yeah. so i don't know and again like rob i mean you know maybe with robin maybe there's more to do there because we really just got the very broad strokes of the introduction of of robin in this story so sure, that, that could be sure. that could be a possibility as well but i and, yeah. and you know we're introduced to Batgirl in this one so i mean I mean, Barbara Gordon is uh, dressed up like uh, Batgirl to me. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she seems ready to go fight some crime. Uh, 
you know and, and what I did what I did love about this right is um did you read Batgirl year one I did yeah so Marcos Martin did the art I can't remember who wrote that uh who was the writer on that do you remember oh uh wait wasn't that Dixon and Scott Beatty Beatty I think those no, it was definitely Marcos Martin did the art. Yeah, I yeah. remember because I was trying to get pages. So, so the writers were Beatty and 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 I think Chuck Dixon and Scott Dixon Beattie did. Yeah, okay. or one that sounds I, right. I don't know if it was the that two of them right. or just one, but yeah, that sounds right. Uh, what I love about that is like that the idea that um, you know Barbara is like kind of in love with Dick, and you know, obviously you know later on you know they have like love interest together, but they they toy with that that early love kind of flirtation, uh, and I love how they pick that up here. Uh, as well, where it's like, you know, Gordon's like, uh, you know, Barbara wants to know if your boy will uh, go trick-or-treating. <laughs> it's like, it's so cute and so innocent, you know? And so I think there's a lot to the early Batgirl stuff that has never been explored. Um, you know, and then again, that might tie into, you know, the Gordon side of things too. So, you know, maybe they'll explore that way. Who knows? I don't know. But you're right. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, this cover is very misleading. You know, Robin could be a big focus of the next uh, book. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. There's definitely more they could do uh, with Robin. You know, as far as the the mystery, I know we talked a lot about Long Halloween, Dark Victory. What did you think about the reveal in Dark Victory that Sophia was the hangman all along? So so again, just like in uh, the Long Halloween, you're, you're thinking it's Harvey Dent the whole time. Uh, until it's not when he tries when he free uh, saves Gordon, um, you know what does she say? Like you know, her father taught her like the uh, this this biggest strength is when everybody sees you as a weakness or something like that. And so you know she certainly was uh, could have been capable of it. When you reread it, you kind of see it um, maybe a little bit more than in the Holiday Killer that it it could be her. Uh, but you know, I, I, again, it was kind of like like you were saying in all these books. It's kind of like a, you know, just kind of like, okay, well, it's her. All right. You know, it's not like this, uh, something that where you had the breadcrumbs and you were like, trying to figure it out. Um, it made sense that it was her though. You know? Yeah. Right. Cause she's, you know, she's in a wheelchair. She's in the head brace. It seems like she's, you know, incapacitated and, yeah. and then, you know, it turns out that's, that's not the case. I, you know, I, as you know, I know I went on my rant before about the mystery. I, I think that in these stories, the mystery is really a vehicle for the, the character work yeah, that we get absolutely. And, and the world yeah. building of it's this almost version of Gotham. It's unimportant. What's important is that. I think that's everything else is just the arc that you're, you know, the context, you know, the context you're putting this all in. I think for me, I would have liked a little more meat on the bone in terms of the, really the the mystery itself. And I don't always yeah. necessarily crave that in in a story, but I think these were instances where... I might have wanted a little bit more, and maybe that's unfair. I don't know, but um, but all that being said, even if I found some of the reveals, you know, a little bit lacking, uh, again, I really well, did. I enjoyed these overall a lot. Well, let's be honest, though, a lot of the reveals, a lot of the mysteries in this, still make no sense to me after reading it twice. You know, like those the hangman things, especially the first one. You, you know, no one is safe, none of you are safe, nine of you are safe. Still doesn't make any sense. I don't know. Maybe I'm just. I don't know, maybe I, I should read it a little closer. Um, but it wasn't something that's like, oh, these are legitimate clues. Even Batman had trouble. He's like, well, let me get the Riddler on this. <laughs> Try to figure it out. No, everyone's going to the Riddler for help. 
where does this fall in, in terms of your, and specifically within the realm of comics, I mean, where does this fall within your ranking of top Batman stories? Oh, I mean, this is top three for sure. Uh, for me, it's always, you know, Dark Knight Returns. I mean, that's my favorite story, Batman. Uh, year one. So Frank Miller is, for me, is it's where it's at for Batman. And I think this is, you know, right up there. And I what I probably appreciate most is that it fits in the Frank Miller universe really well. Um, story of Batman. It's very gritty, uh, true to life versus the, you know, like the 1960s kind of uh, slapstick humor Batman. Uh, but in terms of you know, I, I definitely would place a lot of importance on the long Halloween in that. Because, um, again, I think there's aspects of the character that they explore there uh, that, for me, uh, kind of puts every other Batman story in context. It's like you can measure up other Batman stories to some of these stories. And I think I appreciate that. Um, I have I certainly Batman is one of my favorite characters. I have not read enough Batman to, to fully weigh in on this. I'm going to probably wait uh, to reread Hush after this discussion. I will definitely reread or read for the first time the Grant Morrison stuff for sure. Um, you know, but there's things that, you know, Neil Adams, Batman, I love Neil Adams, Batman. You could read those all day, but you know, I don't think they're particularly like these wonderful, you know, I mean, I guess that's the Archie Goodwin era. I shouldn't be uh, denigrating anything like that. Uh, it's good stuff, but it's not my favorite stuff. You know, that's for sure. I, I, I tend to, lean towards this as something. And maybe it's just cause I reread it so recently that I'm just like, Oh my God, I love it. Um, ask me again in a month. I'll let you know. <laughs> no, <laughs> I'll I, some more Batman. Yeah. No, 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 I'm with you. I mean, I think, you know, there are like, I really enjoyed post no man's land, the, um, Ed Brubaker and Greg Rucka runs on detective comics and Batman. I thought those were really, yeah. really strong. Um, but you know, again, if I was, you know, making my list of, of those, uh, you know, those Batman, if I could only have certain Batman books on my shelf and the stories that I would always yeah. go back to. Yeah. I mean, long Halloween is, and, and dark victory are really, are really up there for, you know, for the take on the character and just the atmosphere. And, and again, the art was such a big part of that. Um, what else did you want to talk about that we didn't get to before we wrap up? Well, just to chime in really quickly on what you just said. I mean, like I said at the beginning of our discussion, these are, I think, lasting stories. Um, you know, when you look back on a story that was written 25 years ago and, and is still relevant uh, to both, you know, new readers, old readers, uh, it's, you know, a t it's like a sort of timeless take on a character. I mean, that's a story that, you know, I want to engage and reread every now and again. There's, I mean, there's Batman comics every month and how many of them are just disposable? I hate to say it, but, you know, you, ne you probably will never reread the majority of a lot of what you read as a comic book reader. Uh, whereas something like this is something that, you know, oh, maybe I'll read it again and see if I could figure out from the beginning it was Dent or something. There's a lot of different aspects of this yeah. that you can take away. That's for sure. Um, no, I think we talked about a lot of the things I wanted to talk about. Uh, my favorite aspects of all the books were, you know, the Selena love interest. I've always been, uh, you know, enamored by that, that thing. You ever read that comic book that I wrote, that one shot that I pretended, I sent it to Brandon uh, to see if he was interested in it. It, it. it followed up on that, you know, the the Selena Kyle kind of love interest with Batman. I guess it's, you know, I, at the time, I didn't know how, how influenced I probably was by these books that I had read years ago, years before that. Um, you know, that that longingness that Batman has, um, I think, for, for not being alone, right? And so it's interesting that he seeks it or he, he accepts Robin a, as his partner, um, and kind of shies away from the Selena, who's obviously throwing herself at him uh, in both his identities. So I think that's an interesting thing to also think about. 
Um, it, it is interesting because, you know, on the one hand, you could argue, well, you know, Selena is still a criminal. And so there's that, you know, maybe that uh, at least in part is the is the roadblock for him. But, you know, when you look at Dick Grayson, this is a child, I mean, a young child. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So it's yeah. like that it's more of a father son role. Right. No, but I mean, in terms of like letting him in and actually having him be a partner, you know, out, out in the yeah. field with him, it's like, you know, I, so th- the fact that Bruce is okay with that, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, but not with Selena, but now I guess I, have you not read any of like the Tom King stuff more recently? No, I, I my comic book reading has largely been years ago. Gotcha. So, I mean, I, I mean, to be honest, I haven't actually read it. I've read more about it though, but I mean, he does a lot with the Batman Catwoman relationship. Oh yeah. For sure. Who's this guy? Tom King. I'm going to go look up some Tom King. I'm going to be doing a lot of reading this weekend while I have this app. Yeah. Well, yeah, there you go. Well, so Tom King, so beginning with the rebirth era of DC comics, he wrote, uh, the, the main Batman title for 85 issues. And then now he's Uh currently wrapping up his run with a Batman Catwoman 12 issue series Um, so a lot of his run and certainly now this final series that he's doing are are largely focused on the the bruce selena relationship so again i haven't read it personally yet i will um so i can't i can't vouch for it that much but if again if that's the subject matter that you like um i think you Uh, find that interesting i mean she's she's obviously the person for him she's she's his person i think they both know it um but she's waiting for him to uh especially in these stories. I know later on that like there's, there's even more so. Uh, so it sounds like I'll, I'll do some reading. Um, but you know, you wonder why he doesn't just readily go for it. And, and you're right. She's a criminal in his eyes to us, to us, to a degree. Um, but she's certainly playful with him and he, and he is back to her. Yeah, for sure. Well, listen, thank you very much. I appreciate you taking on this reading project and bringing- I can do another hour. Well, if you have you more sure stuff you want, you want to, to talk about, I know I don't want to. I don't want. To, I don't want to cut you <laughs> no, it's off. Good. No, it's good. I, you know, it's so funny. Like we are coming into this, and it's like there's so much to explore in these books, and it's just like, uh, I, I, I don't ever feel I could be. I could be ready for a discussion like this. This is just. It was just such an epic. You know, considering all these books as a whole, there is a lot of material um, to explore, and so. Yeah, just to put that out there for anybody who is interested, just like you were saying, you know, like tracking down all those movies by certain directors. I think, you know, certainly these books, the the three one shots that preceded them, the uh, the Catwoman went in Rome, and now this new Long Halloween. I mean, it's really essential reading, pulling all these books and just sitting down, spending a day. I think it would be more valuable too, like you did it, reading it all at once. Yes, maybe over a couple of days. One day was a lot, but uh, but yeah, no, I mean, I, I definitely, <laughs> no, it really was a lot of fun to to read all of these together. And no, I don't mean to cut you off if there's more you want to talk about. I'm, no, no, I'm no, no than, not at all. I just, I, I love talking about Batman, that's for sure. Uh, but we're good. No, thanks for, uh, you know, uh, thinking of me when it came to uh, discussing these books with you. And I hope that's, this is the kind of the conversation you were interested in having. Absolutely. And, you know, again, I like you said, I mean, there is a lot of material here. I know we didn't, you know, pour through every single aspect of it but i really enjoyed this conversation about it and i hope people did too and and you know people have been the audience has been very kind and complimentary about you know the the passion that we've had in the discussions about superman and so i hope that 
you found something similar in, in this episode as we're talking about a different character. Um, I mean, I think the level of passion for Superman will always be greatest, obviously, as a Superman show. But <laughs> I, I hope that for the audience um, that you felt the same type of, you know, uh, passion and enthusiasm and insight uh, to talk about these stories. Because, um, like I said, from time to time, I think it'll be interesting to, mm-hmm. to kind of explore my and our fan journeys with, with other characters as well. And, and like I said at the top... The Long Halloween, again, was not my introduction to Batman or to Batman comics, but really came at a pivotal point. And I don't know, had I not read this, would I have still just continued reading the post No Man's Land comics? I mean, yeah, I I guess. But I think, you know, when you look at things that really solidify the fandom, like when we talk about Superman, I always go back to, yes, I started with the death and yes, I read through the 90s. But Smallville, the Smallville TV show, like just really solidified that fandom in a, in such a strong way. And I feel like long Halloween, you know, maybe doesn't rise quite to that level, but it, it played a similar role for me as a bat fan. So I'm glad that we, we had this discussion for sure. No, thanks for having me on this one. My pleasure. Thank you. Uh, you'll be, I'll give the audience a advance, uh, you know, peak that you and I are talking about doing an episode next year on uh, Darwin Cook's New Frontier and his kryptonite story with Tim Sale. So you'll be back yeah, and, and, and we'll be talking, uh, it'll be more Superman talk, but we'll, we'll still be talking about Tim Sale. Uh, so I think that'll be a lot of fun. So that'll be coming up next year. Next week, uh, as alluded to earlier, um, Justin DeVoe is coming back. We're going to have a discussion about uh, the DC Injustice animated movie. So you don't want to miss that. That's in one week. And remember that... Um, Bill and I have a conversation about the Long Halloween animated adaptations that is on my Patreon page right now at the $1 level and higher, so I hope you will check that out. And of course, remember, it's about what you do. It's about action. Digging for Kryptonite is a Flat Squirrel production. Art by Greg Shegel, music by Basic Printer. Join the conversation by becoming part of the Flat Squirrel Podcast Network Facebook group. Follow Digging for Kryptonite on Instagram and Twitter, and visit flatsquirrelproductions.com to explore more of my film and podcast projects.